Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Uh, it's good to be back uh, after our summer break, and I hope you too have had opportunity to relax just a little bit, take in a little bit of sun, uh, at least for a few days before the smoke from BC invaded um, our wonderful city. Anyways, um, some years ago, I was talking with a young man who was exploring the Christian faith. And one of the questions he asked was, why does God want us to worship him? He said, I mean, what kind of God needs to be told how great he is again and again and again? Have you ever wondered that? Well, in Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, we're called to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength. In short, we're called to worship the Lord our God. You see, whoever you love with all of your heart, soul, and strength, whoever you serve, whoever you live for above all else, well, is who you worship. And in the first commandment, God says, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, the gods that he's referring to aren't real gods because he's God. The gods he's referring to are idols or counterfeit gods that people often sell their souls to, often give their life to instead of the real God. And so here's what I told this young fellow who asked me this question. God doesn't need our worship. In fact, he didn't even need to create us. He wanted to, but he didn't need to. He calls us to worship him and him alone because he knows we need to worship him. We need to keep him first in our lives. You see, because God created us, he knows us better than we know ourselves. And he knows that if we worship or we put anything ahead of him, if we take the good things of God, like our career, a romantic relationship, if we take money or possessions, beauty or fitness, approval, security, marriage and family, take any of these good things that God's given to us and we make them the ultimate thing, we're never going to be fulfilled. We're never going to be satisfied in life. We're never going to experience true joy and peace within. Not only that, but whatever we put ahead of him will let us down one day. In Psalm 115, the writer essentially says, some people may say they worship God, but in reality, they worship earthly man-made idols. However, he says, when their life falls apart, or when they face death and they fall down on their knees before their idols that they've put their trust in and they plead with their idols for help, they're going to be gravely disappointed and they're going to face despair because those counterfeit idols, according to Psalm 115, have ears that cannot hear, have eyes that cannot see, have mouths that cannot speak. In short, 
These idols won't come through for them because they are powerless. They are useless. They're temporary at best. You know, almost every week, I have a conversation with someone who is shell-shocked having realized that what they put their trust in, what they staked their lives on didn't come through for them. The romantic relationship they invested everything in suddenly unraveled and fell apart. The job they'd given their life to suddenly ended or never delivered what it promised. Their health and fitness or body image that they'd given so much attention to, spent spent half a fortune for, began to rapidly deteriorate because of unexpected disease and illness. Or their friends turned on them, or the pathway to pleasure that they were on turned out to be a major disappointment. And they're devastated. They often ask, who or what can I really count on in this life? The psalmist undoubtedly had wrestled with this question. He was spot on when he concluded that my soul finds rest in God alone. In various scriptures, the psalmist reminds us that ultimately it is God and God alone who's trustworthy, who is our fortress, he's our refuge, he's a rock upon which we can stand, and who will never leave us or forsake us. He'll never let us down. And that is fundamentally why God wants us to worship him, why God wants us to make him the object of our highest affection because when we look to something that God created or someone that God created to give us meaning, to give us happiness that only he, God, can give us, will eventually, these idols, these counterfeit gods will ultimately fail to deliver us, be, ultimately fail to deliver what they promise and they'll break our hearts. I'm sure most of us get that. The issue is this. All through Scripture, we see people time and time again forgetting God, taking their eyes off God, slowly over time, giving their affection to other things, to other people, to other gods. And what that teaches us is, as humans, we are prone to wander, to take our eyes off God, to forget Him, to worship other things. So how do we prevent that from happening in our lives? Because if we end up worshiping something or someone other than God, we're we're in trouble. We're going to pay a dear price for that. So how do we keep Christ first in our lives? Well, I could touch on a number of areas, but I'm just going to touch on two. Number one is if we want to keep Christ first, it is so important that we regularly worship Christ privately and also with other Christians. In Romans chapter 11, verse 33, we read this. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. What that verse teaches us is that we are created by the Lord for the glory and the delight of the Lord. It reminds us that God, is God, not us, but God is the center of the universe. He's all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere present. He's the source of all wisdom, knowledge, and power. 
All that we are, all that we have, and all that we need comes from him, and it's found in him. Now, most of us believe that, but as I said a moment ago, we can forget that. On the one hand, we can get so absorbed and preoccupied with living and achieving the good life, however we define that, that we can forget that our Lord is the source of all that we have. That everything that we have and enjoy, including our very life, is a gift from his gracious hand. Now, on the other hand, we can also get so overcome, so myopic, so focused on ourselves and overcome with feelings of inadequacy and feelings of failure and insecurity. We can get so overwhelmed with, with pain in our circumstances that we can forget that our God reigns. That he is the God of the universe. He's all-powerful and he's a good God who cares for us. And he can do more than we could ever imagine. And so that's why it's so important that every day we open up the scriptures alone, privately. And let God speak to us. That every day on our way to work or school or wherever we're headed, we crank up the worship songs in our car on our iPod. And why it's so important that we come and worship like we are right now as Christians and we sing songs of praise and we hear teaching from God's word and testimonies of God's faithfulness to remind ourselves who God is, what God has done and what God can do and what God promises he will do. That's why we gather like this, folks. You know, it's not about getting our needs met. It's not about, you know, um, uh, you know it, it's to lift him up. It's to get his perspective on our lives and our circumstances and align our lives with his agenda for our lives. I think about an incident in Jesus' life in Matthew chapter 21 uh, when he entered Jerusalem on a colt. Um, before he was crucified. This is just a few days before he was crucified. And we refer to it as Palm Sunday, his triumphal entry, when Jesus was saying in no uncertain terms that he is the promised Messiah according to Zechariah 9, verse 9. And on that day, thousands of people were praising and worshiping Jesus, cheering and clapping, uh, crying out, Hosanna, the son of David. I mean, it was a regular now service. And yet, less than a week later, many of them cried out with equal passion, crucify him. Crucify him. And what that tells us is that their worship wasn't really focused on Jesus at all. Their worship was focused on themselves. Hosanna means save us, O king. But the savior they wanted was not someone who would save them from their sins and reconcile them to a holy God. No, they wanted someone who would deliver them from the military oppression of Rome. They weren't worshiping Jesus for who he is. They were worshiping Jesus for what they believed he could do for them. Now, to be clear, 
It's not wrong to come to Jesus with our needs. The problem is for some people, that's all they want. See, Jesus wants to be our friend. I mean, he, he, he wants to have a relationship with us. But so many people, all that they want is for Jesus to fix their problem. And when Jesus doesn't come through for them in the way that they want and in the time framework that they want, they get upset and so many times they just give up and walk away. To put it bluntly, their worship is self-centered rather than God-centered. And friends, true worship is about God. It's not about me. It's not about getting my needs met. It's not about my preferred style of worship. It's not about music. It's not about the worship team. It's not about the worship leader. Fundamentally, true worship is about God and God alone because God and God alone is the only one who's worthy of our praise and in whom we can trust. You see, in God-pleasing worship, we gather and encounter the presence of the living God and we declare, we remind ourselves of his greatness, of his goodness, of his glory through our words, through our actions, through our singing. And as we do, if we're open to God's spirit and his voice, then any idols, any idols that we're trusting in, any lies of Satan that we're believing in, they get exposed by the truth of God's word. And we're put in a position to confess our sins to God and to realign our life with Jesus and allow our affections to be centered on him once again. Now here's the thing. When we make God rather than ourselves the focus of our worship, and when we meet together to worship like this, with an open mind and heart, then not only will God be blessed, but he will meet with us and he will bless us in return. You know, in Psalm, 20, uh, sorry, Psalm 73, the psalmist talks about a personal struggle that he's having. He notices how the wicked seem to prosper, how they seem to be healthy and strong while he's, here he is, I mean, he's faithfully serving God, he's giving his life to God, and yet he's really struggling in a number of areas of his life. Have you ever wondered that? Ever wonder why your heathen neighbor's life seems to be totally carefree? And here you are, you're totally committed to God, and yet your life and your family's life is filled with trouble and heartache? Ever had a week where you looked around and you thought to yourself, you know, I wish I had that person's job. I wish I had that person's personality, waistline, hairline, bottom line. <laughs> well, the psalmist goes on to say in verse 16 that he was plagued with these kind of thoughts until, until he entered the sanctuary of God. He says, it was when I consciously entered the presence of God in worship that God whispered to me and gave me his perspective. 
and reminded me that life is a precious gift, not a right, but it's a precious gift from his gracious hand and that every human being is one heartbeat away, just one, from giving an account of their life to a holy God. And were it not for his grace, we'd have no hope at all. And the psalmist says, it wasn't until I consciously entered into the presence of God in worship and was reminded through uh, this time of worship of who my God is that I realized how warped my perspective on life was and how narrow my focus had become. Ever have that happen to you? Ever leave a worship service seeing your life and your circumstances differently? Saying to yourself, I see things in a, in a whole new way now. The lights have come on. You see, when you consistently come to worship God, to focus on him, to lift up his name, and to hear teaching of the truth from his word, you will find yourself being blessed in return. In Psalm 34.3, King David talks about the power of worshiping together. And he says, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Notice the emphasis on worshiping together. Remember the time that you were going through a really difficult time? And you contemplated staying home alone. You didn't want to go out. You're just hurting too much. But then the last minute, maybe somebody called or maybe you just thought, oh, why not? And you got up and you decided to go worship with others anyway. And while you were in the sanctuary or a worship center like this, perhaps all you could do was just sit there and listen to others sing. Just sit there and listen to others pray Listen to others read and teach scripture. Sit there and listen to others testify to the faithfulness of God. And as you took it all in, hope began to well up inside of you. Not a sentimental kind of feeling, but a raw living hope that emerged from realizing, again, the truth of who God is that he makes no mistakes, that he has our best interests at heart in all things, and that he can be trusted. You see, you came to worship God, but in the process, in the midst of all your pain, you got ambushed by God, and you left that worship service profoundly ministered to or changed in some way, perhaps in every way. That's why even when we don't feel like it's so important that we daily have our time alone with God. Why it's so important that we gather like this on a weekly basis with other Christians for praise and worship so that we're reminded of the God that we serve and his promises and also embrace his perspective. And then secondly, and finally... If we want to keep Christ first and worship him only, we need to surrender all to him and obey what he calls us to do. Romans 12:1 says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. The heart of true worship is surrender. When you trust him and you give yourself completely to him, when you give Uh, your best to God. 
When you hold everything and everyone with an open hand of surrender, you are truly worshiping God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. While God is blessed when we praise and worship him in a service like this, worship is so much more than this. Whatever we do with all our hearts and for his glory all through the week is also an act of worship. And so when you leave for work on Monday uh, and you go to school or you go to college or you go and serve in some way in our church or some other ministry, you would be correct in saying to your loved ones as you head out the door, see you later, I'm heading off to worship. Anything we do that reflects the character, the spirit, and the heart of Jesus, that introduces others to Jesus, advances the mission and the redemptive purposes of Jesus, is an act of true worship. When uh, we're dependable, when we treat others with respect, when we're diligent to do our jobs well and with a Christ-like spirit, when we're humble, when we're ethical, when we're honest in our work, when we're kind and gracious and encouraging to our fellow workers, when we're willing to go the extra mile with a smile and jump in and help when we see a need, whether we're gifted in that area or not, but we jump in and help anyways, we are worshiping God. When we faithfully serve, when we teach, when we mentor people to grow in their faith, be it children, be it youth, be it adults, we are worshiping God. In fact, several times in Scripture, like 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, God says to obey is better than sacrifice. And, and, and in today's vernacular, what that's really saying is your praise and worship, your singing, your clapping, your jumping, hand raising, and other rituals that you do on a Sunday service are hollow and meaningless to me. If you just carry on with your own self-centered agenda on Monday and you ignore my call to serve and invest in the lives of others. He's reminding us that true worship isn't limited to a worship service. It is reflecting his spirit, his character. It's loving, serving, investing in the lives of others every day in Jesus' name. That's worship. Notice in Romans 12, 1, Paul says we're to offer our body as a living sacrifice. Why our bodies? Because when you give your body to him, it means you're giving yourself. It means you're committed. You're going to show up. You're going to give your best to God. God wants all of us, not part of us. He wants our worship not just on Sunday, but all through the week. Nothing pleases him more. Nothing glorifies him more than when we decisively offer ourselves to him and we say, Lord, my life, my time, my money, everything belongs completely to you. So these hands, Lord, they are now your hands. These ears, they're, they're now your ears. These eyes, Lord, they're your eyes. This mouth, it's your mouth to do as you please. That, my friends, is the heart of worship. 
I'm going to close with this. Well-known worship pastor and songwriter, Matt Redman, tells of a time in the life of their church when the fire that used to characterize their worship had somehow grown cold. And he began to notice people were actually raiding worship leaders and they were raiding worship teams and worship services. You know, hey, that was a 9 out of 10. That was a 10 out of 10. Ah, that was only a 6. And perhaps most disturbing to him was he sensed that the focus of worship had shifted from exalting Jesus to exalting worship itself. And it become critical of the worship itself. And while people seemed to love to worship on Sunday, perhaps what concerned him the most is that for many people, that's where it ended. Many were not engaging in what Jesus was calling them to be and to do in the life of their church the rest of the week. And so for a season, they decided to strip everything away. And they shut down the worship teams and they went back to a very simple form of worship. And Matt says that first the worship gatherings were, were, they felt a bit awkward. And there were long periods of silence, not too much singing. But in time, their church rediscovered the heart of true worship. And from that experience, Matt wrote a song entitled, The Heart of Worship. And some of the words go like this. Lord, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it when it's all about you. All about you, Jesus. Friends, I trust that you see that worship is all-encompassing. It involves so much more than singing worship songs. True worship involves all of who we are, all of what we say, and all of what we do in Jesus' name. Every moment of every day of our lives. Every attitude, every act reflects who we really worship. Whether our creator or the things he created. Whether his interests or our own interests. The Bible teaches that a day is coming when every person on this planet, they're going to realize that Jesus is more than worthy of our worship and at that moment spontaneously it says every knee will bow in worship every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord in a moment we're going to join together in singing the heart of worship and as we do the question I want us all to ask the Lord is this Jesus is my life all about you? Is my life, Jesus, all about you? And if Jesus reveals to you that it's not, if he reveals to you that the affection of your heart is directed somewhere else, it's directed on another person or on a job or, you know, on how good you look or, or whatever the idol is, I want to challenge you to take ownership of that. 
to confess it to him and to commit to giving him first place in your life and to worshiping him and him alone. And as a way of driving a stake in the ground, as we're singing this song, I'm going to invite you to come up here to kneel, to stand for however long you need to. Surrender that idol that Jesus has pointed out in your life or that issue or whatever it is that you need to release. Hold with an open hand rather than clutch onto it like your life depended on it to release it. And then when you feel you have released it and given it to God, you can go back to your seat. There will be prayer partners up here. If you'd like someone to pray with you about anything that we've talked about, about that idol, or for that matter, anything else that may be unrelated to anything I've said, they're up here. They'd love to pray with you about your need. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter 